1: Hey guys, Doug Maurice with a podcast for you guys to check out. It's called NIL Now. It's from Headline Studio and Reddit in our company. Lauren Sisler from ESPN, you've seen her on there, and Kevin Jones, former All-American running back from Virginia Tech. They host this once a week. They know NIL really well. We know it's changing college sports. So they talk about the best and funniest Reddit conversations that week about NIL. They look at the news, look at the headlines, and then they have a QA and a each week about NIL with players, coaches, NIL experts and newsmakers. If you're interested at all in this, and you should be, want you to check out NIL Now once a week, wherever you find podcasts. You're listening to NIL Now, a podcast dedicated to the name, image, and likeness of today's college and high school athletes.
2: So we're going to explore the crazy and wildly interesting world of name, image, and likeness.
1: N-I-L Now, covering the latest sports business headlines it's and keeping you informed on the nation's top performers. This is NIL Now, where the stars of tomorrow are getting noticed today. It's the Wild Wild West, but we're wrangling it in. Presented by Headline Studio. And Reddit. Here are your hosts, Lauren Sisler and Kevin Jones.
2: Hello there, friends, and welcome back to another episode of NIL Now, a production of Headline Studio and Reddit. We're out wherever you listen to your podcast, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a beat. Later, we're gonna speak to UCLA quarterback Chase Griffin, a two-time winner of the NIL Male Athlete of the Year at the NIL Summit. Can't wait for that one. Really looking forward to it. But first, we got to dive into some headlines with my friend, my main man, Kevin Jones. What's up, KJ?
0: What's up, sis?
2: (laughs) Do you like how I change up my intro every day just for you?
0: Yeah, I like that that high octave that you just gave out there. I know you Uh, can dance, but you can sing now too?
2: I can sing, but I can't sing well. (laughs) Let's get this straight.
0: NIL Headlines.
2: So let's dive into this. Nick Saban making headlines once again. He obviously is is very uh, vocal about the NIL space, has been for quite some time now. And so he jumps on Stephen A. Smith's podcast called No Mercy. And um, the Alabama football coach had a few things to say about NIL specifically. So Saban told Stephen A. that the only problem he has with NIL is when people use it in recruiting. He added that it's a problem when people try creating a free agency market within the sport. And he said that the collectives have been part of that, right? So he says that the coaches and institutions are to blame for what NIL has become. So here's a quote from him. We encourage our players to have an agent to represent them for marketing purposes so they can develop opportunities. My issue is we have a collective where we raise money as an institution to create these things where basically we're paying the guy to play, And then he added to that with this clip here that I think, Kevin, you'll find very interesting.
0: I I want our guys to have an agent. You know, I want Mm -hmm. Bryce Young to go to CAA and have an agent get representation, do Dr. Pepper commercials. I'm I'm (laughs) all for that. That's what name, image, and likeness was supposed to be. Right. It wasn't supposed to be me going to give a speech to raise money from alumni so we could get enough money in our collective so we could pay players. That's Mm -hmm. not what it was supposed to be. Now, who's to blame for that? Coaches. We Mm did. So is he saying we as in himself and his institution or we as an industry? I'm going to challenge the listeners to listen to the whole clip because someone on this show, I don't know if it was you, Lauren, or if it was Dean or somebody cut the clip at 38. When if you listen a little bit longer to 39, 40, (laughs) 45, he he starts to fumble that answer a little bit. Stephen A. kind of you know dove in a little deeper to ask him, well, what do you mean, we? Um, and he started to say, we, we the coaches, the institution. And then he kind of, I didn't really understand if he was talking about you know things that he knows specifically with we, or is he speaking more of an industry thing? But I think it wasn't it wasn't so clear to me. So I I would say, man, you know, th- there's always been people saying that Alabama and these other big time SEC schools have been in this space before the space was the space. You know what I mean? Space Jam.
2: <laughs> the space was the space before it was the, the space.
0: space. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I I, I don't want to go in too hard on coach because like I told you, I like Coach a lot. We had some 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 wars. Well, he was coaching, I was playing, so it's a little bit different, but I'm pretty sure I was a thorn in his side a little bit. So I'm gonna choose today not to go as thorny in his <laughs> side with these comments.
2: <laughs> That's good. I like that. Yeah. Coach Sabin, and I've been around him for several years. I've been been really embedded in the SEC for the last eleven years, which is crazy to me. I just feel like I'm getting older by the minute here, um dating myself, but being kind of embedded in it, and then, of course, sort of knowing how Nick Sabin operates, like, you know, when he's got a message and he wants something out there, and he has talked about this, like this is not a new topic, and this isn't something that he hasn't addressed. But I think to your point, it's interesting how. You know, Stephen A does dig a little deeper on, like, okay, you're saying coaches, but like in what way? And I don't think there is a ton of clarity on what he means by that. And again, maybe that could go back to the d- 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 drama that we had last summer when him and Jimbo Fisher went fisticuffs on all the um, NIL stuff, because obviously that was sort of when it was a little bit newer and less understood. And, you know, I think he was firing off about like coaches specifically paying, paying players in recruiting. And that's kind of what he's saying here. So he's essentially kind of pointing the finger and saying, look, we've created this mess and now we've got to figure out how to do it the right way. And so my one thing to you, Kevin, as someone that obviously works for Triumph and does a great job giving these student athletes opportunities, you know, essentially talking about the collectives. And as a coach, you're not supposed to go in and raise money. That's going to just go to these donors and these collectives to give our players money. So like what, I mean, what do you say to that? Like, how do you feel like the collective, can actually be a good thing versus maybe what he's saying about the collective creating some little bit of gray areas, if you will.
0: Yeah, I'll, from the beginning, you know, at Triumph NIL, we always cringe when we hear the word collective as it pertains to a description of us. You know, we we try to focus more on, like I said, the branding and the marketing and social media, building that personal brand for the athletes and trying to get them deals. Um, while we do take donations from the, I would say the donor base, it's still to not necessarily, that money can't just go to the athletes. We have to figure out how to operate a business how to connect brands with athletes, you know, throughout the country, local, national, and sometimes even international, and how to promote those things together. You can't just take the money and have it be pay for play. So I think he was kind of, you know, hitting at that towards the beginning of that conversation, but then I felt like he fumbled it a little bit because he started to talk about how, when he talked about, it, like, Alabama has a collective, so why are you saying <laughs> you, can't really, you, you can't really talk out of both sides of your mouth with that statement? without standing on one side of the fence. So I guess he's just saying it's a problem that he wants to get fixed. But if the, if you've been dibbing and dabbling in that throughout college football, throughout your tenure, then it's hard to now get on the other side of the fence and, and point fingers. So come on, Nikki. Well, I don't know if that's disrespectful for me to call him Nikki. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I come up with names oh, for these situations, so – this is called the Sidekick Nick.
2: Well, of course, Kevin, we can always rely on you to do some name dropping on this show because you're really good at it.
0: Can we change yours to Sizzler instead of Sizzler?
2: Sizzler? Can there be a little sizzle behind it?
0: Absolutely. I've been asking for those sound effects for two months, so we're <laughs> just going to make them up on the spot now.
2: All right, that gets us to our next headline. How about we sizzle on over to the uh, second headline of the show? All right, so our buddy John Ruiz, remember that name? John Ruiz, the uh, LifeWallet CEO, tells On3 he's going to sue the NCAA. So why, you ask, he's going to sue? Well, the LifeWallet CEO has signed over 100 Miami athletes to NIL deals. He told On3 he plans to file a lawsuit against the NCAA over labeling him as a booster— which Ruiz claims he is not. The NCAA handed Miami a year probation of Ruiz's involvement in recruiting Haley and Hannah Cavender to the women's basketball team. Ruiz claims that he is not a booster and that he has signed athletes to NIL deals, which other businesses and professionals have done. Ruiz is mainly tied to Miami athletes, but LifeWallet signed FIU football players Tyrese Chambers and Rivaldo Fairweather last winter as well. And so there's a whole long laundry list, uh, Kevin, of what the NCAA considers a booster. And before we jump into that list, Kevin, do you think Ruiz is a booster?
0: Well, I think that the NCAA has made the term booster a little bit broader for the cases of NIL. And I think that is somewhat unfair, but at the same time, I get why they've done it. I don't necessarily still agree, but Ruiz, Ruiz himself Maybe if he's been donating to the school you know, for athletics and stuff like that, I think that's the traditional term for what a booster is. But as far as I feel like I feel like it should be somewhat interchangeable or more flexible, because in some cases you're a booster, in some cases you're not. So if you're doing a a branding deal, we shouldn't be classifying that person as a booster. I think it's kind of whack for them to do that. But I do understand that. It needed to be brought in.
2: Well, and I I think to your point, there's a history there, right? So what was his relationship prior to? Not to mention, he's using his actual company, right? So it's a little different, like, okay, for you, for instance, like obviously you're not a booster, Kevin. You work for a, you know, Triumph, and, and you're curating opportunities, right?
0: But they try to classify us as boosters, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they brought in that definition, and it's for the cases of nil. But it really should be a little bit different where, you know, kind of like in, in business and in, in legal terms where, you know, you're held accountable as a person when you are when you sign on paperwork to do things. But when you sign on things under your business, it's totally different. So I think that it's kind of weird for them to label him as a booster, but then also the workings within his businesses still counts him as a booster. I think that's a little bit kill two birds with one stone. I'm not, I'm not sure that's fair.
2: I don't think there's a lot of clarity there, and I think that this is probably happening in a lot more places than this. This one just being highlighted, obviously uh, signing over a hundred deals. Um, he owns this this company, and he's obviously using it to his advantage to use these student athletes in, in this case. But again, I think lie, lies the the the, big topic of conversation, and we just talked about it in the previous headline: is are they actually having a exchange for goods or services, right? And so is what he's doing out of line with that, meaning he's hiring them for his company, as long as there's no shady business happening and they're actually providing a service, then I guess you can argue that maybe he feels like he's being, you know, categorized in something that is inaccurate based on maybe his previous standing with the university.
0: Well, I think this also goes back to the two of the twins that, that are at Miami Infraction. So, if you think about it as Ruiz is just a businessman at Miami having dinner at his house, talking about basketball and trying to get those girls to sign or whatever, then obviously that's booster. But if you are Ruiz as the businessman coming under the hat of LifeWallet, and you're meeting with these girls talking about LifeWallet as a company and how they're go- how we're going to do business together in the future. That's two different situations. You can't, you know, just throw it all in one bucket. And like, because he has, let's say he has 20 businesses and the 20 different businesses can help through NIL and promote the athletes at University of Miami. You just, now he's just a, you know, a booster in every situation. I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure that's fair. Let's say he sits on a board of a business that wants to, you know, hire these girls. Now, is that business considered a booster business as well? Is there any relation because of just because of his relationships, you know, I think it's where to be penalized for, you know, in this case, being successful and wanting to be a part of helping the NIL era at a university. NIL Now with Lauren Sisler and
1: Kevin Jones. If
2: you want to learn more about name, image and likeness, you need to go to the source. The NIL Now podcast from Headline Studio and Reddit highlights the, the biggest, biggest storylines.
0: NIL is not a cherry on top. It needs to be a part of these young men and women's future to, you know, further their careers. You should be able to leave college with something. Subscribe to NIL now on
1: Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Well, Kevin, all great points there. So let's uh let's bring in our good friend Bob Akhieri for our second segment of the show. As we always do, our good friend from Reddit, uh, to weigh in on some other stories that are surfacing. Um, One of them that kind of stands out on the radar, uh, former Notre Dame defensive end Isaiah Foskey, when asked at the NFL Combine, said he likely would have signed with another school in 2019 had NIL had the impact on recruiting that it does now and uh, our good friends. And that story, of course, reported initially by the San Francisco Chronicle. So give them some props there. Yeah, so Reddit kind of taking taken this one uh, not lightly. It's kind of been fun to see some of their comments. What are your thoughts? What are you seeing on the Reddit channel that pops off to you?
3: Yeah, so it's interesting to see kind of the different directions people are coming in. The Notre Dame fans, you know, Captain Rudy, how's that for a Notre Dame fan? Uh, the article mentions that he made significant money while at Notre Dame, but that recruits have to earn it when they get there and that there's going that That in and of itself is going to rule out plenty of the top talent going forward. In his opinion, Notre Dame needs to attract the five-star recruits and lean in on how much you can make if you become a star while playing in South Bend instead of just the latter. To an extent, that is something that was echoed by others Frankly, it got into a larger discussion on what people were expecting to happen when NIL was introduced. Never-ending Debt wrote that this is the world we all wanted when we said the players needed to get paid for their work. We can't put this genie back in the bottle. Notre Dame fan John Delve C3 said it was always going to be like this, including poaching players in the portal and acquisition fees. The NCAA had shown no indication that we're ever going to set regulations on this stuff. Yet people wanted to close their ears and think the sport would be better. And instead, we're just paying kids over the table out in the open now. Although, you know, never ending debts reply was at least when it happened under the table, there would be worthwhile drama when schools and coaches got caught doing it. Another angle on that was from Miami fan. Joaquin said Dominate players still aren't being paid for their work. He thinks that would be wages. instead, they're being paid for their brand. They always had that right. The NCAA just unlawfully prevented them from profiting off of that right. So those are some of the thoughts kind of out there. What do you two think about this?
0: I think that the players have rights, and it's funny where people talk about, you know over the table, you know when i when I think about players being able to be compensated. I think about all the players who weren't compensated in the past, but also didn't go pro. So I see it kind of two ways. Like you didn't go pro, but you were able to, you know, have some investment, you know, investing into your future. So I'm all for it. You know, I think maybe there's ways to do it a little bit better and we'll see over time. But I, I'm still for athletes being um, compensated for their name, image and likeness while they're in their um, college career. You know, I started at like fifth grade, fourth grade, all the way up till you know, professional. But had I not made it pro, that would have been an investment into a career that didn't happen. And then I leave college and of course, yeah, you get a degree, but shoot, I left school early. So I had to come back to get a degree. So for other athletes who invest all of that time, I think they should be able to have something to show for it financially to get a, you know, a kickstart on their career.
2: Well, and I will tell you this, as I'm scrolling down the pages here, I guess I'll say this on the air. Hookers are true love. (laughs) That's his name. What? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that, but I'm saying it. I'm done. (laughs) So he says, NIL is so stupid, not in the quote, paying players sense, although I think that is stupid too, but in that this has zero to do with name, image, and likeness. I think there's people that just don't necessarily understand the purpose of name, image, and likeness. And to your point, Kevin, the fact that what they were doing before and all the sales and everything that's coming from their name, image, and likeness, like what that all encompasses. Like, does it seem like there's confusion to people like what name, image, and likeness is now that it's been out there for two years? Some people still just don't get it.
0: I think people still consider it. um, They're not using the terminology pay for play, but I think that's what they think the definition of it is. It's like... You're coming to the school because you got paid to go to the school. We're giving you money because you are an awesome athlete. And I think our show exposes that that's kind of far from the truth. It might be cases in some places, but when we look at, you know, some of the people we've had on the show and we talk to them about what NIL means to them, it's totally different than what, you know, I think a lot of people in the industry or, you know, a lot of people, fans and stuff like that, think of it is, so. You just listen to our episode you'll see that NIL is a little bit different than that.
2: Yeah. And I think listening to the players talk about it specifically, it does give you a different perspective. And I think there is this perception that's out there as as you know, things have been publicized and talked about as to what name image likeness is, the corruption that's involved, you know, how these kids are cashing in and this and that and you know, doing all these different deals and whatever. But the problem is first and foremost, and, and we've seen this across various studies and things that have come out. It's not like the name, image, likeness stuff, like these kids are making millions and millions of dollars. Yes, there are a couple of outliers that are making that kind of money, but I still go back to what you guys were doing, Kevin, You know, with with Liz over there at Virginia Tech, women's basketball, like getting to do the cooking shows and different things like that. I just think it's cool because you're able to incorporate different things and aspects. It's not about just cashing a paycheck and saying, okay, go put your face on this poster or this Instagram ad And you're going to, you know, you're going to cash $10,000. It's, it's, there is work to be done. And really, you're promoting not just a person and a brand, but also a program and giving people more access and more genuine access to these people than you would if it was just saying like, oh, we're going to go watch them play a game. You're actually giving them an opportunity to get to know these people. And I think it's a win-win on both sides for both parties.
0: I think that accurate. But then I also think that, the stuff that you said is not going on is also happening. So you have like the places that care about doing things the right way that actually care about the athletes and the growth of the athletes. Like we do here at tech, trying to get them to the next level of their career. But then you have, I'm not going to name other, which other places that are just not doing that at all. It's just like, Hey, let's get this money in here. Let's keep this roster tight. And then let's, let's go win a championship.
2: Did you just do a Nick Saban?
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, he certainly wasn't talking about UVA.
3: no, (laughs)
2: <laughs> so some people are not doing it the right way in which it's making it a crappy situation for others whereas i get what you're saying yes well not it's not even
0: making it. a crappy situation it's just both realities are happening like yeah like in, in business where you have people cheating and messing up with taxes and then you have other people that's on time or early and doing things the right way so i think that you know the ncaa is you know, going to try to crack down on some of it that that's not being done the right way. But there's definitely places out here that I'm seeing where these agencies, some of the collectives are making sure that activations and things are happening. They're, they're out here making like actual brand deals and marketing deals and the clients who would be like the customers and the athletes are getting the mutual beneficial pieces from it. So there's, there's a mixed bag of things that's happening. So you're right, but you're wrong. And you're right again.
2: <laughs> right and wrong and right again. I like that. Okay, so let me let me ask you this, Bob. back, kind of jumping into uh, something else that's kind of popped up and an interesting conversation, anxious to get your thoughts and sort of what highlights the Reddit feed on this one. So someone proposed the question of what college football fans expect college football to look like in 2028, maybe 2033. So we're kind of saying like five, 10-year plan, like what does this landscape look like? There's definitely some interesting responses because I think that, you know, if you rewind back to five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, a lot of the stuff you could never predict. But, I mean, isn't that the world we live in right now? Like, there's a lot of things that look quite a bit different now, even just five years, 10 years down the road.
3: Yeah, it was an interesting kind of conversation. And it was based off of actually one question that was asked in some mailbag uh, for David Uvin at The Athletic. And somebody asked him similarly that question. Probably my favorite answer was actually his, because one thing he observed, it's like, like, let's say how it might control the, tr- he thought the transfer portal is going to go down um, in terms of the frequency of people moving, especially as NIL deals and other kind of collective deals start to put money in place. You know, he says like, imagine you're a guy who's getting $95,000 from a collective and you're about to enter your third year buried in the depth chart why would you go to another program? There's a strong chance you're not going to get that kind of money to go elsewhere. So it might keep you in a program if if you're buried in the depth chart, but kind of also looking at what some of the folks on RCFB are saying, really uh Wisconsin fan, Alex Butler put it, you know, are we even sure we know what college football will look like in two to three years um, to an extent, maybe that's an issue. And then some of the fans are having fun with a Florida state fan. And I'm going to emphasize Florida state fan, Texas, 2089 he's like by 2033 the Big Ten and SEC will have reached their final expansion sizes of 24 team super conferences with each team making over 120 million dollars per year meanwhile Florida State is still locked into the dang ACC grant of rights deal um that's sort of what echoing the uh the issues a lot of those uh Florida State fans have been happening um, they've been rumbling a bit about the, how thrilled they are to not be in that conference and of course you know hey Penn State fan Chubbs Gun said lasers it's going to be just like <laughs> normal football but with lasers everywhere TCU fan board at work said y'all minds are going to be blown when they introduce Tesseract shaped footballs in 2027 filter out TD and SMU fans said just wait for 40 football dibs on an HB Lovecraft style mascot the size of a stadium whose body parts will phase in and out of our plane of existence in a way that terrifies anyone <laughs> present into irreversible madness. So there were some, there were some thoughts.
2: Wait, hold on Bob. First of all, real quick. Hey, you're having a lot of fun with this. I can tell <laughs> number one, you're loving this conversation. <laughs> number two, before you answer that, I need to know what is tess a tesseract shaped football. What the heck is that? What's a tesseract.
3: It's like a, um, complex shape of like do you ever see interstellar um like kind of at the end of that movie where they get stuck in a black hole into an infinite universe it's kind of something like that I
2: shared the same facial expression <laughs> as Kevin because I think Kevin and I are both like uh
3: <laughs> well and you know I have to add one last one Ohio State fan uh sorryge seventy four said why are we looking now in the year twenty five twenty five if college football still alive? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, it's, the song. it's not that old, really? Come on. <laughs> Come
2: on. Oh is having goodness. so much fun with this segment right now.
0: <laughs>
2: I wish everyone could see his facial expressions and how much fun he is having with this. Um, I do think it's funny, though. You brought up the lasers comment, like just normal football, but lasers everywhere. First of all, I'm like, hey, are we like going to a rave? Like, what are, the, what are the what is the purpose of the lasers?
0: This all sounds like a rave. Yeah, it
2: sounds like a rave. Uh, <laughs> give me some fist pumping music you know jersey style unch, 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 unch. <laughs> but I will say this uh the West Virginia fan Magnum Magnum one eye what okay okay so Magnum one eye from West Virginia said speaking of lasers y'all try to be serious for a moment speaking of lasers why is the ball measured with refs eyeballing, spotting, and chain markers? Touchdowns are reviewed and eyeballed. You would think some type of technology could be used to track the ball accurately up and down the field and when the goal line is broken. Hockey has been doing it for a few decades with goals. It just seems archaic that we have a billion dollar industry judged by four goofballs and stripes.
3: Yeah, why use eye why eyeball it? You can magnum one eyeball it. <laughs> 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 You're listening to NIL
4: Now.
2: All right, now it is time for our third and final segment of the show, and I'm so excited about this because we are welcoming onto our show today Chase Griffin, the senior quarterback on UCLA's roster. Uh, you know, Gatorade Player of the Year in high school, two-time winner of a National NIL Male Athlete of the Year from Open Doors and the NIL Summit. He has got a wide range of uh, campaigns and things he's been doing in the NIL space. And so first and foremost, Chase, it's so great to have you on. Thanks for joining us.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here.
2: First things first, you've got quite a resume, obviously, on the football side of things and trying to navigate this world of education and all these different degrees you have. So give us sort of the resume. I want to have the Chase Griffin resume straight from you because you've, you've got a lot going on here.
4: I appreciate that. So I got to UCLA January of 2019. I got my bachelor's degree in public affairs from UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs in 2021, that summer. And then that fall, I started my master's in education, which I'll be graduating from in this, this spring. And then this fall, I'll start and I'll enroll in in the ucla masters of legal studies program at the ucla law school
2: okay so how in the world do you keep up with all this stuff i mean you're obviously about to start spring ball which is exciting um looking ahead to the season but to manage all this plus nil and all these different things i mean that's super impressive in and of itself
4: i think if you want something to get done you give it to a busy person and you know as an athlete as someone who grew up playing instruments, doing well in school, uh, I'm used to always doing something. Whether it be, you know, going to practice in the morning at six a.m. or going to violin lessons after school, going to practice after school, whether it be you know training in the morning before school, I think having a habit of practicing your priorities every single day and staying focused has been integral to my success. Not just in sports or the NIL space, but to life thus far. And I think in college, the people who end up, you know, reaping the most out of it are those who are able to stay true to what got them there. And uh, I consider it a blessing that I've been able to, you know, remain myself no matter what opportunities or obstacles come my way.
0: Sweet. So Chase, what is, uh, what are some of your life goals? Uh, Obviously, I'm assuming you want to play in the NFL, but um, let's say outside of football, what are some of your life goals?
4: I think everything uh, football included sort of goes towards the same goals that I have. And that's to build generational wealth early. That way I can take care of my family the way that I want to and do it in a way where I'm able to contribute to philanthropy and keep my heart and keep my faith. Uh, I think no matter what happens, as long as I'm able to stay true to myself uh, that everything will handle itself the way that it should go. Uh, obviously, I want to play in the NFL. Uh, I had the talent to to get to college, and I believe that, you know, in the times I've played in college, I, I've demonstrated an ability to play very well. And I don't think there's a single person that's showing up to the facility every single day, uh, dealing with the strength coaches, you know, paying attention to meetings when you're almost falling asleep and, and not wanting that to pay off in the form of, you know, getting to play more football. That being said, uh, I've never been the type of person to rely on one thing to get to my goals. Uh, I think God has blessed me with numerous talents and with each one of them, uh, I work hard to develop that piece of me, uh, off the field in NIL, whether it be on the production side or the the content creation and talent side, uh, I've built, you know, a repertoire of tools over my experience in the branded space. And there's things I also want to help elevate in the space along with, you know, my peers. I think right now sometimes the media, in the way that it covers NIL, sometimes loses the the point of focus of what's important in it. And at the end of the day, it is the storytelling of these college athletes that is very valuable in the space. And I'm using my platform now, especially with Uniworld and the Nile program, the NIL enrichment program that I have with them to both bring more brand investment into the college athlete space, but more importantly, help the media tell the stories of these athletes. I think what you'll see off of this will be more brands investing into the NIL space, but also sort of For the first time, media being from the point of view, directly from the athletes being able to tell their stories to the public rather than having it be shaped by any type of program, coach or anyone else. Uh, I think that's a very powerful tool when we look at the empowerment opportunity that NIL is, where if athletes are able to start telling their stories and educating each other, then you'll see more camaraderie and more of an uplifting nature of NIL rather than some of the scandals that we see based off what the media covers.
0: What's the NIL enrichment program you're referring to?
4: So with Uniworld Group, which is this the longest lasting and largest multicultural ad agency in the country, we have a program there where I'm an executive in residence there where with the program, we have the brand side. They have brand, lots of brand partnerships and insight and lots of success representing and assisting these brands in the advertisement space. Now, if we merge that connection and that track record with the college athletes and uh, a mission that is, you know, is well-designed and has a good heart, then we're able to partner with both media and brand sponsorships to empower athletes and help tell their stories in ways that are both profitable to them in the immediate sense, but more importantly, set them up for a future where they not only are educating their peers, but they're able to tell their stories in ways that are authentic to them.
0: All right. So what are some of the brands that you've been working with that you enjoyed the partnerships with?
4: Uh, so my, my first brand deal was with Degree. It was really amazing for me to, to start out in the NIL space with a brand-like degree just because they are a number one in their space and they're a household name. I think everyone going into NIL didn't really know how it would go, uh, who would get deals. Was it only just the Bryce Youngs or, or the guys at Clemson's who would get those types of deals? But at the end of the day, it came down to my ability to market myself as a storyteller. And having a story that brands wanted to align with. I go into every single deal with a values playbook where I consider my personal values, me being a believer, a winner, and a provider. And I look for other brands that match that, degree match that. At the same time, I also look for economic value. How much does this deal pay? Is it on par with my market price for other similar deals? And then third is community value. How do I take the economic value that I generated and turn it into empowerment. Um, I'm proud to say that from my partnership with the LA Food Bank, we've raised over $22,000, which is translated to almost 70,000 meals for children in the LAUSD school system who rely on subsidized lunch. And that was really important to me just because I grew up in a town and had teammates that helped me get to UCLA where them and their families and their brothers and sisters were on either free or subsidized lunch. So to be at a platform that I have now where I'm able to practice my vision that I have of me being philanthropic in the future, I'm able to practice that on the scale that I can now. That way I have the right habits, the right heart and the right practice and know how to do it in the future on a more grand scale.
2: Dang, I don't know. First of all, degree, everyone needs some deodorant, right? So that's a universal (laughs) thing. Everybody's got to have it. That's good. But number two, I just love your thought process. And like, I love the values playbook thought, because I do think it's so important, as you said, to empower people to go into these deals, obviously go into this space A, with the proposition, but B, holding true to their values and knowing what's important to them and how that aligns with these particular brands, because not every brand is for everyone. And I think that when you're developing these different uh, relationships and partnerships, it's so important to use that. And as someone in media, obviously, but I would say one of the biggest things I take from my job and I take very personally and take very seriously is the storytelling aspect and going out on the field and telling the stories of the athletes, the coaches, the fans that make it more than a game. And I love what you said, because it is more than just, I'm an athlete. I go out here and play on Saturdays with the hope of one day I'll be playing on Sundays. So I think that is amazing. And, you know, it really speaks to how you really landed this first NIL award, right? From this summit. This is the first year that it, the first year that this award has been given out. You get crowned over several high-powered athletes, like you mentioned, the Bryce Youngs and the ones that have, uh, you know, generated a lot of, uh, you know, success as well in the NIL space. But, I, you know, I think it's, it's worth noting you becoming that first one have really set the stage and the tone for what people can expect kind of going forward. The other thing, I guess, I, I'm really curious to know, you talk about the philanthropic side of things and how important that is. You know, and Kevin works in this space a lot with uh, with Triumph NIL and what he does with his athletes, student athletes at Virginia Tech. And it is telling a story. And I think um, from a philanthropic standpoint, you know, how do you believe the NIL space can really feed into that philanthropic side of things? Because there is the price tag. There is the money. There is the exchange for goods and services. But also you're doing so much more than that. uh, And it's not just all about the, the, the bottom line price tag.
4: Absolutely, I think it's not really up to me to tell another adult or a young adult what to do with their money. So if there are people who, uh, with their nil, are saving all of it and practicing, you know, safe money habits, I have nothing wrong with that. In fact, I, I have a partnership with J.P. Morgan Chase where part of it is helping to enrich others' lives, especially college athletes, by helping them practice safe money habits. Uh, Because in the long run, that's the most valuable thing you can learn while you're in college. As far as the philanthropic side, it depends on person to person. I think often we forget when we talk about NIL that it is name, image, and likeness of that individual. Uh, The NIL for Chase Griffin is going to be based off of me, just like the NIL for Kevin is going to be based off of him and his values. I think people who have a giving heart and a heart for philanthropy and also a know-how and partnerships with infrastructure where they can best utilize whatever resources and platform they have to help people on a a larger scale are gonna see more of an impact made. Uh, That was part of the reason why I seeked out the LA Food Bank. I grew up serving at the Round Rock Serving Center back home about 20 miles northeast of Austin. And I saw the impact that that food bank had on the community. And while I was out here, I wanted to find a cause that was near and dear to me, but also one that I knew was extremely capable that, you know, as a college athlete, as a college student, I don't have the millions uh, to be giving that, you know, God willing, I have in the future But that doesn't mean I can't give and that doesn't mean I can't have an impact. So I wanted to find a partner that could maximize my impact and initiatives like Be The Match, uh, which is one of the best bone marrow registries out there or partnerships like the L.A. Food Bank have helped me use the dollar amounts that I'm able to safely
0: give now and maximize those uh, in return for those that I'm trying to serve. Hey, uh, Coach Thump said you got plate pushes tomorrow, so make sure you uh, make sure you're ready. Meeting you me <laughs> tonight. <laughs> I wouldn't even be surprised. Yeah, hey, look, it's it's right here. I'm telling you.
2: <laughs> you got to give us the backstory then, this Kevin and Chase. What's 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 the uh, what's the what's the backstory on on you two knowing that this this coach?
0: Oh yeah, well he was my teammate in the league. Yeah, so yeah, and then I know him. He he's my he's strength coach. He, yeah, he's the strength coach there now. Hey so so you know we hear about like the you know some of the accolades some of the things you like to do like and that you want to do for you know feeding people and philanthropy and things like that um if you had to sum it up in a in a sentence um who was Chase Griffin
4: I think my belief brand sort of encapsulates it well or how I how I sort of frame it where i consider myself a believer a winner and a provider as far as being a believer it's what's most central to me uh, my faith and, and my belief in God, my faith uh, in Jesus has, has carried me my entire life. And being able to see how that faith has, has carried me through things that I considered obstacles and now looking back were really opportunities and stepping stones, I would not have changed anything in my journey. And I know that's easy to say, you know, at, at 22, but God willing, I'm saying the same thing at 80. And then as far as being a winner, I I try to win every day. I think a lot of people have more opportunities than they realize. But when you have a mindset that allows for you to see everything as opportunities to win, I wake up every single day more energized about making things happen rather than having to do things. There's probably some people that would you know, just try to do their best or try to do well on this interview. I'm trying to be the best interview y'all have ever had. And by going into by going into every single interaction like that and treating everyone in a way where you treat them with the utmost respect, like you try to be their best moment of the day, you see that the the relationships and opportunities you deliver on and build on, end up just working together in ways that you wouldn't even see coming. But as long as you treat people well and keep a good heart and do your best and everything, I truly believe that I'm going to get to where I need to go. And then as far as being a provider, my main motivator in life is being able to be the provider for my family uh, that my father was for his family. And my father, he took us from working class, you know, the the Griffins and the Seedons. We were always educated. Uh We we were always working class, but my father took us to middle class and I want to take us from middle class to wealthy. And in order to do that, I just have to, you know, keep playing my cards right, stay true to myself and my values and continue to, you know, deliver on everything
0: that I do. Amazing. Very impressive. Woo! That's, a, that's, that's yeah. a good statement. We, we can all live by that. Thank That's you. really
2: good. I love that. Chase, this was super informative. Um, I just love what you're doing. And again, you know, just talking about the philanthropic side of things, it's different for everybody. Um, but just kind of looking at the resume and giving back some of your NIL earnings. But really, again, it's also being front and center and being in front of these partnerships and also just kind of being the face of it, you know, whether it's giving your time, you know, just giving your, your, um, you know, your, uh, expertise, obviously your experiences, I think that all falls into that same umbrella. And I just think it's amazing. And again, you know, giving over 22,000 NIL earnings to your community there in Los Angeles and your hometown of Round Rock, Texas is amazing. And then of course, winning the first NIL male athlete of the year. Uh, at the N. Uh, for the NIL summit, and um, that that to me is just you know speaks volumes to what you're building and what you're sharing with people around you. So again, thank you for this opportunity to chat with you. We'll definitely uh, you know uh, keep an eye out and and see what you got going on uh, in the future, and would love to maybe get you back on the show down the road as you continue to build uh, this this amazing platform that you've created for yourself and for those around you. So uh, of course, you can follow Chase Griffin. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, at ChaseQB11. And uh, we appreciate your time on the show.
4: Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you, Kevin. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Hey, I'm a Hokie, but I guess I can root for uh, Bruins a little bit, man. Yeah, (laughs) I appreciate it.
2: I love it. All right, and of course, you can follow Chase there. As I mentioned, Chase qb 11 You can also follow us on our show, NIL Now Show, on Twitter, on NIL on Reddit. Tell a friend. Let us know what you think. Subscribe to the show. We'll have some great clips from uh, this interview out on social media. And, of course, thank you to Bob Akhari and the Reddit College football team for their help. And a big thank you to the rest of our team, Colin Schmailing Dean Zolkowski, and our executive producers, Richard Diamond, Selena Roberts, and Scott Roder. Until next week, peace.
1: Thanks for listening to NIL Now, presented by Headline Studio and Reddit.